1: Episode 8 of Strange New Worlds. That's what we're going to talk about here on Positively Trek today. Hope you can join us for that. Hope you've seen the episode. I know some of you may not have seen it, but hey, stick around and listen to us talk about it anyway. Or wait, then watch it, and then listen to us talk about it. But we do have some news items also we'll talk about before we do that. So I'm Bruce Gibson. Thank you again for joining us. And with me, with his 1966 shirt on is Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah,
2: 1966. Gotta celebrate where it all began, right? You know, over
1: 50, was it 56 years ago now, I guess? Wow. Yeah. Crazy. It is. You know, having been born in 1967, I don't necessarily want to be older than I am, but I kind of wish I was born in 66. So I could say I was born the year Star Trek was born.
2: Yeah, no, I, I get that. I was born in 82. So I'm uh, I'm a good deal after Star Trek, but I came out the year Star Trek II,
1: The Wrath of Khan came out. So, Ooh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> well, we're going to talk all kinds of Star Trek today, like we always do. But before we talk about episode eight of Strange New Worlds, let's talk on some things that have just recently come up in the news. So Sinequa Martin-Green was actually speaking to Games Radar in London, and she gave a little insight to something about season five. Not much information except for the fact that it is going to be something unexpected. Expect the unexpected is what she said. It's going to be refreshing, invigorating, and lovely. And that sounds exciting to me, but I have a feeling that's what she would have said about last season, too.
2: <laughs> I do wonder about that. You know, how much of this is kind of pre-release press spin kind of thing. But, you know, I am inclined to give her the benefit of the doubt. I all believe Sonequa when she says, you know, to expect the unexpected. I really hope that's the case. In which case, you know, I'm, I've always been looking forward to the next season of Discovery, but, you know, okay, I'll I'll, I'll turn that dial up one more notch then because of this. So, you know, sinequa you're building up my expectations. I I'm going to trust you on this.
1: Yeah, I think I said it last week. Every episode that I'm sorry, every season that has premiered, I like better and better. Mm-hmm. So. You know, my expectations are I'll like season five even better than season four. So we'll just have to wait and see if that's the case. I hope so.
2: Mm -hmm, I hope so, too. I mean, you know, that's that's one thing is if each season keeps getting better, which in my opinion also it has, you're raising that bar every year. So, you know, let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. (laughs) <laughs> I will
1: say, though, if it's as good as last season, I'll still be happy. Oh, for sure. Even if it's not better. As long as it's as good, I'll, I'll be happy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that one as well, for sure. Because I, I did really enjoy season four.
1: And the good news is also the interviewer said, and more Tilly? And Sinequa said, yeah, exactly. No worries about Tilly. We're going to get Tilly most of the season, I'm assuming. At least more so than we got last season. I hope so. Yeah,
2: the the wording from showrunner Michelle Paradise kind of worries me a little bit. They say here that she will be returning in some capacity. And I always I always fear those words in some capacity. I really hope she's, you know, back front and center as a main character. But regardless, any Tilly is great Tilly. So I, I really hope they've employed Mary Wiseman for another season and we get to see her on our screens. That's that's my big hope for sure.
1: In some capacity, so maybe she's just the ship's computer voice from here on out? <laughs> C- could be, I guess. We don't want that. No, 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 we don't want that. No, we don't want that. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, we'll get some Tilly. Um, I'm not worried about it. But even if we don't, it's still good, but I'm sure we're going to get our Tilly fill. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> our Tilly fill. I like that. Tilly fill. Um, But, you know, Siniko also said that, you know, there's been talk by Alex Kurtzman that he'd like to do crossovers or there's a crossover that's coming somewhere, somehow, some way or whatever. And she's definitely open to it. She said she would like to work with Kate Mulgrew or Patrick Stewart, Whoopi Goldberg and Avery Brooks. And she's like she wants to work with so many people. And so my question to you, Dan, is if you could pick a Star Trek character from anywhere in the star Trek universe to appear on discovery with Sonequa, who would you like to see? And I'm sure there are many that you'd like to see, but if like a top pick that you'd like to see with Sonequa in discovery and don't worry about hmm. it making sense or not.
2: I think captain claw from star Trek five, the fi- no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I have given this a bit of thought and I have to say her name dropping Avery Brooks there was one that I hadn't considered but would be so amazing. I would love to see Cisco return somehow and I think meeting Michael Burnham somehow and and interacting with with that character and that crew I think that would be so much fun. And I mean, you know, the Cisco exists outside of time supposedly in the wormhole, right?
1: So I think it's doable. Let's bring Avery Brooks back. I'm 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 for that. I I don't think I could top that. I <laughs> think that's probably the best choice. I I like that because yeah, he come from the wormhole easily and meet her and just to see Avery Brooks again because we've had all the others, right? You mm-hmm. know, um we need some DS9 love in here.
2: Yeah, which you know, we'll mention little tiny bit of a hint of a spoiler for the episode discussion we're coming to, after the break, the little Deep Space Nine Easter egg that uh, was there. I'm curious to see if uh, other people noticed.
1: I don't know if I noticed. I'm trying to think what it is you're talking about. Oh, you might just have to tune into our discussion. (laughs) See, I can't even think going, I can't even like focus on anything else right now. Cause I'm like, okay, I had to have picked up on this. I'm just not remembering. Oh well, yeah. We'll get to that in a moment. See, now I'm really intrigued. <laughs> so, oh man. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, the, anyway, the podcast version of clickbait is what
2: I just did there. <laughs> you you got to listen to our episode discussion. I just want to shut
1: up and listen to you talk. Just get <laughs> to that point now. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So one thing we've all seen is Star Trek first contact that movie, right? So, you know, they come out with this new high def 4k HDR version, that format onto Paramount plus in the U S just surprisingly just popped up. We didn't even know this was coming. Now we know we did something with the director's edition of the motion picture just recently, but we knew that was coming. Well, now we're getting this, you know, new fresh version of Star Trek First Contact. And I mean, I got to watch it, right? I mean, just to see it in its 4K glory. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And and TrekCore has some comparison picks up, which of course are gorgeous. I haven't seen this version of it yet, but uh, I, I now have a 4K Blu-ray player to go with my 4K TV. So I still haven't seen the motion picture director's edition 4K, but I'm all set for that to be released on disc. And hopefully maybe this will come out on disc sometime, too, because, you know, why not drop another ton of money to replace my entire Star Trek film collection with 4K versions now?
1: <laughs> why not? Right. They, they look nice next to the VHS copies that you have, too.
2: Yeah, that's funny you say that because when I saw that the story was in the news, I was going to mention that that opening shot of the Enterprise against the nebula, uh, that they they have this comparison pick on Trekcore showing the Blu-ray edition and the Paramount Plus 4K edition. I remember watching that on my home theater quote unquote on VHS when that came out and thinking how beautiful that looked and Star Trek will never look more beautiful than this. And, uh, they just keep making it better and shinier. And even just that shot has gone through, through so many permutations to get more and more beautiful. So (laughs) you never know what's coming. We'll just wait for the eight K version of first contact
1: someday. Of course. I mean, there's always going to be new versions after new versions because when they even came out with Blu-ray, I'm like, okay, this has got to be the last, right? This yeah. is the final. And we got 4K, 8, 8K, whatever Ks are coming up later. I don't know what else is going to happen. I mean, <laughs> we're going to have a holodeck at some point of these movies. Oh which will man, be cool. I can't wait. <laughs> I remember years ago, I don't remember where I heard this, but someone was telling me that, you know, it's a TV screen. You know, it it has lines in it, right? That's, you know, the and the more lines you have, the better resolution. But paint could have lines in it, too. That one day that you would just paint a wall and it would display video images. Hmm. And that would be your TV is the paint in the wall. Wow. (laughs) And I'm waiting for that to happen because then you can size it any size you want, right? You can make a big screen or small screen or whatever you want. I would love to have that. But the other thing is that's in this article, they talk about Star Trek five, the final frontier and Star Trek six, the undiscovered country expecting to arrive later this year in 4k UHD Blu-ray this fall. So I couldn't help, but I I said, I say this all the time. I want them to do what they did with the motion picture. I want them to do with Star Trek Mm five. I want new special effects. Hey, I'll even take some of that on Star Trek six But those hold up. The Star Trek V special effects, a lot of them aren't all that great. And I would love to see them do something with that.
2: That would be incredible. I mean, I I don't know that the money's there. I don't know that the demand's there. But I would love to see that for sure. And especially with recent plot developments in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I feel like more people are going to go back and check out that film. Deservedly or not, it's not really for me to say, but, you know be that as it may, it's a part of Star Trek and I'd like to see it get some love for sure.
1: I'm with you. I don't think we will get that. And I'm purposely saying we will never get that because if I say we'll never get it one day, it will happen. I'll say, Oh my gosh, I remember saying it would never happen. And it's happening.
2: There you go. I I like that. Just daring the universe to prove you wrong.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I want it to happen during Shatner's lifetime too. So he could see it. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. we just need it. We need it. And I want rock monsters, but that probably won't happen either. (laughs) But you know what will happen? This is very exciting. We are getting a Lower Decks comic this fall. Now, we've been wanting this for a while, so I'm very excited about this.
2: Yeah, this is very cool. I loved uh, seeing you put this in the news. I hadn't seen this yet. So when I saw that headline, I was giddy as all get out to to see this. So yeah, very cool. Uh, Star Trek lower decks, three issue mini series. So, uh, yeah. Um, about time, you know, they're, they're perfectly formatted to be in comics. So a Star Trek lower decks comics tie in just makes sense.
1: It does. It makes total sense. I knew eventually we would get it, but we now know for sure we're getting one, like you said, three issues and it's written by Ryan North. And the arts by Chris Finoglio. So this is going to be exciting. Rarely going where no one has gone before.
2: Yeah, very cool. And of course, like all of IDW's releases, they have their A cover and then B cover and retailer incentive covers for you to collect. So uh, I love, <laughs> especially the retailer incentive cover, just looks amazing.
1: Yes, But the thing is exciting right now is IDW is celebrating 400 issues of Star Trek comics. If you take all the Star Trek comics they have published and add them all together, you'll get 399 of them. But now you're going to get another one that's coming out here soon, and it's for $799, and it's celebrating 15 years and 400 issues of Star Trek comics with this extended one shot that has multiple stories in from different past and future crews and such in there. And I'm excited about getting this.
2: This looks amazing as well, for sure. So 15 years, like you said, I honestly can't believe it's been that long. And thinking back over the amazing stories they've told over the course of those 15 years and those 399 issues, I'm excited to see what they come up with for this 400th issue. Uh, it's a collection of, of mini stories, I guess, set in all corners of the Star Trek universe.
1: Yes. And there's even a story by TNG's very own Will Wheaton that's going to be in there too.
2: Very, very cool. Absolutely. I'm I, Yeah, very excited to see these. And again, with the, the multiple covers, <laughs> some of these are amazing.
1: Yeah. And then I don't know if this is an insert or whatever, but do you see this poster art? that's in this article that's Lower Decks, but it's got characters from different Star Trek series in it.
2: Yeah, the Retailer Incentive cover for the 400th issue by Chris Finoglio. uh, Yeah, features the Lower Decks characters, but also a ton of other characters in that style. I love it. There's even Tom Paris with his Tom Paris plate.
1: (laughs) Yes, and I love seeing Picard, Admiral Picard there, and Data's there. Uh, Even... The doctor from Voyager has Mm -hmm. that look to him. So it's kind of fun to see them in animated form like that.
2: Yeah, I know specifically my wife, Nikki, will be thrilled to see Morn is there. Uh, He couldn't be bothered to turn around to post for the picture, though. He's sitting at the bar uh, drinking, of course.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and and talking too much, too. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, we'll be covering that here on the show, of course, when the 400th issue comes out. But you know, that's not the only thing that's coming out. We do have in September, we have the Star Trek Picard Stargazer issue number two that will come out. And to me, I mean, I'm excited to see anything that connects Star Trek Picard with Stargazer. And this one has seven of nine as part of it. So I don't know if it's like flashbacks or how that all works, but when we get into August, I guess that's when issue one comes out. We'll have a better idea of what those comics are about. And then we also have then the star Trek, the Mirror war Troy one shot. So that will be fun. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I need to catch up on the mirror war stuff. I haven't really been following that yet. Uh, I have them kind of piled up ready to read, but yeah, the stargazer one as well. I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. And once again, these covers are just blowing me away. Uh, including a retailer incentive variant by friend of the show, Aaron Harvey as well.
1: Very nice. Okay. Well, there you go. So check those out. We have the links in the show notes. So take a look at uh, the beautiful artwork that we were just discussing. So that being said, I think it's time we go to the Elysian kingdom and on horseback and discuss that episode. (laughs) Lead on my liege. (laughs)
2: It's that time of the episode again where we give a special shout-out to our Patreon supporters, especially those at our Constitution-class Starship level and higher. So a special thank you to Carl Morris, Joyce Maron, Justin Ozer, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earl, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Knier, and John Blaber. We really do appreciate all of your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you are interested in making a monthly Monthly donation to help keep the show coming to you each week. Please visit us at patreoncom trek. If you join at any level, you get access to our Patreon-only feed, where you get early access to episodes and ad-free versions of episodes as well. There are also other great perks. Again, visit us at patreoncom trek to learn more. Thanks again, and now back to the show.
1: I knew this dreadful fog was a bad omen as soon as it appeared. Fog? What fog? A mysterious, smoky wall. It has engulfed the entire kingdom, sire.
2: Poisonous air. I wager it's a curse sent by Queen Nev. Sorcery is a coward's weapon.
1: Give me a clean kill by sword any day. Really? All right, so... Episode eight, The Elysian Kingdom, which is based on the book, The Kingdom of Elysian, that Imbegang is reading to his daughter, Rokia. And so I was like, OK, is this episode starting off with that? I'm like, OK, he's still trying to save his daughter from this illness. He's trying to save her life. Maybe this is the episode that he gets closer to it. I didn't think it would resolve it but I thought we'd make another leap forward because I thought this would play out a little longer. And so I guess that is kind of met through this episode, but what are your initial thoughts of this episode? Well, initial thought, I I, I do want to do this thing and we've kind
2: of done this with a few other episodes, the title, first of all, before we got into it. And I know this time we did discuss the title a little bit before either of us had seen the episode I was immediately thinking, okay, Elysian, Elysia, where have we seen that before? And I was like, oh, the animated series, the time trap, right? There's that Elysia, this alternate reality they cross over into. And I was like, are they possibly tying it to that? That, What a deep cut. That's crazy. Uh, Yeah, no, nothing to do with this episode, though. So I just wanted to get that out there that, like, I was... I'm going a too deep on these titles, obviously.
1: <laughs> well, I wonder if they did take it from that as just an homage to that, you know, just to the animated series, but it has nothing really to do with it. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I mean, Elysian and Elysium is a thing that, that exists outside of Star Trek. So it's probably more like both of these are alluding to that yeah. rather than anything else. But it, it did make me think like, where have we seen that in Star Trek before?
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It, um, probably aren't really connected to it, but then this was a strange episode because of that. You know, it's like, we've got everybody in like medieval garb on this, on the ship and stuff. And it really felt like a classic TOS episode.
2: Yeah, I have definitely got that feeling. Very TOS. Absolutely. And, I may as well drop it right here because it's right at the beginning. The Deep Space Nine Deep Cut, which I'm assuming you hadn't noticed.
1: Uh, I don't think so. Is it the Nebula? I don't know. No, it is the author
2: of the book. Oh, I did hear this. Yes. Benny Russell apparently wrote. uh... So now, okay, now I'm getting into like the deep. Like Star Trek fan stuff, because Benny Russell was never confirmed to be a real person historically. We only ever saw him or anything connected to him in Ben Sisko's either visions from the prophets or the false visions sent to him by the Paw Wraiths. So this seems to be confirmation, you know, however seriously you want to take a little attribution on a prop on a show that there was a real life Benny Russell, who is a writer.
1: So that's kind of cool. I believe, I believe he exists. Yes. I believe it's all not just in my head. I believe that he exists. Yeah. Well, I, so I did not pick up on the author name when I saw it. I didn't, I didn't notice it, but I did see someone mention that online afterwards. And I forgotten about that. And when I rewatched it, I still didn't even think to look. And I still haven't noticed it. So I need to go back and look at it. So Benny Russell wrote this uh, children's fairy tale, huh? Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because at first I was like, well, he was a science fiction writer. This
2: doesn't, but there's kind of science fictiony elements that kind of come into it. And like the, the kind of whole backbone to it, there's like this kind of spacey stuff to it. So the, the main MacGuffin, I guess, is the mercury stone Throughout the story. And then also the two brothers, Castor and Pollux, which are names of stars, right? So it's like, oh, there's kind of some spacey stuff intertwined in there. So I could see him, you know, doing a a kid's book.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's certainly possible. So at least in the Star Trek universe, then yes, he has. Yes. There you go. Absolutely. I'm just waiting for it to actually be published by someone so we could actually read it. That would be cool. (laughs) So we'll see if we ever get that or at least see it on a holodeck with Voyager or something in a comic Mm -hmm. like that weird comic where they were doing something like that, which I can't remember the name, but that's a whole nother thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That one, (laughs) that one, that one. (sighs) So anyway. um, Okay. So again, initial thoughts. I'm just going to tell you that I've watched this three times now and I think each time I watch it, I like it better, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is. But the third time around, I was laughing more than I did the first couple times. I I don't know. It's almost like I have to be in the right headspace or something sometimes, or the mood that I'm in. Yeah. But I found it more entertaining the third time around.
2: I think there's also some setting of expectations a little bit too, where the first time you're watching it, anyway. You're kind of like, what the heck is this? Where is this going? I don't know. And then once you know where everything's leading, it's kind of an easier story to absorb, I guess. And I'm not saying like I didn't like it the first time around or anything, but your mind is kind of filled with these like, okay, what's going on? Why is this? This is weird. What's happening? And then later on, you can just kind of enjoy where it's taking you because you know where the destination is, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because as I'm watching it, The first time I'm trying to figure out what's happening, why is it happening, what could be causing this. Like my mind is moving through other things, right? Like trying to figure it out. But once I know how the story plays out, there's nothing to figure out now. I know where it's going. I don't have to sit there and try to figure out, okay, so what's causing this? And, you know, is his daughter going to live through this? Is he going to find a cure through this? Or what's going to happen? Now I'm just like along for the ride because I already know the direction we're going.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. Let let's get right into this because I, I just want to sing the praises of the entire cast of this show because th- this is a Star Trek trope at this point, where you get the episode where everyone's acting out of character and and playing different people and that sort of thing. And my mind went to the Deep Space Nine episode Our Man Bashir, where all of the the Characters aren't playing themselves, they're playing completely different characters, which is kind of what's happening here. And the acting out of this group is so good. I had so much fun, and you can tell they're having so much fun doing this as well.
1: It's an interesting concept because you're playing a character who's playing a character, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you have to go in this and say, Okay, well, I'm I'm Pike, but I'm not playing Pike. I'm playing Pike as Sir Roth. Right. So it's like, but then Pike really, even as Sir Roth, it really isn't Pike, you know, so you yeah. can play it fully as Sir Roth, but you still have to keep in your mind that you're, you still are Captain Pike in this situation.
2: Yeah, totally. And he, especially Anson Mount as Sir Roth, just buries himself in the role And (laughs) like, I kept thinking to myself, and and I mean, I don't mean to rag on other actors or anything, but like famously, William Shatner had a particular image he liked to portray as Captain Kirk and that sort of thing. And I find myself wondering, would he be able to play a role like this where he's so slimy and devious and, and not a good person? Whereas in this case, Anson Mount, who's the captain, the lead, the heroic star of the show, is this, you know, weaselly little coward who is, you know, betrays people at the drop of a hat and stuff. You know, I I just I think that's such a fun thing for him to play. And it's obvious he just jumped right into that and had no problem playing that at all. I love that.
1: Yeah. See, now I'm trying to picture William Shatner doing that. That would be, that would have been really interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like he wouldn't have, I don't think there's a universe where that makes sense, you know, but I love that this cast can just take it on and do it.
1: <laughs> I, I loved it when it started off with Dr. Mbenga going up to the bridge and walking into the scenario. Because mm-hmm. Can you imagine going into onto the bridge and you see these curtains and these people dress this way and you're thinking, was I not told about a party, a costume party or <laughs> like, which is a weird thing to be doing on the bridge and decorating the bridge in this way. But then he realizes he's in the clothes too. They just miraculously appeared and he just like pulls at the sleeves too. And he looks around and this is my favorite, one of my favorite lines in the whole episode. He's just goes, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, Cause that's exactly like, what the hell? And then it goes, you know, to the theme song and stuff. I love that part. Yeah, me too.
2: It's such a, a human, such a natural reaction. That's exactly how I would react as well. Like maybe even stronger language than hell, but I'd be like,
1: what the, like, what the heck is going on here? Well, and then I'm also wondering how come he knows who he is because the others don't. They seem to think they are these fictional characters. And I was thinking, well, obviously it's connected to the book he was reading to his daughter. Mm -hmm. And again, it's one of those things where I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why is this happening? Why is he self-aware of himself and the others aren't? But I loved how also that they weren't so – the other characters weren't so into their own universe that they weren't accepting the ship as part, like he could still talk to the computer. Cause I thought, Oh, the computer's not going to work anymore. Not, but he'd still talk to the computer, which is, you know, they said, Oh, you're talking to the Oracle. You know, they've, they just see that future technology is being part of their own medieval universe. Mm -hmm. And I mean,
2: it it was obvious that, what was going on with M'benga had something to do with the, the accident in sick bay. Right. Where, right. and, and I like that the obvious answer is like, Oh, it's making him hallucinate, but no, it's actually protecting him from the, maybe that that's what's going on that he remembers because he inhaled that stuff or whatever. You know, I, I like the different kind of theorizing and trying to figure out with the breadcrumbs we've been given, what's going
1: on here. So were there any favorite characters that really stood out for you?
2: I mean, I just have to sing the praises of uh, Melissa Navia as Ortegas as Sir Adya. I mean, obviously, all of them are doing wonderful jobs. I've already said Anson Mount just kills it in this episode. Uh, I love her as Sir Adya. I think she does an amazing job. Uh and and I also have to call out Ethan Peck as the the wizard brother. Was he Castor or Pollux? I can't remember which one's which now, but
1: he was Pollux. Yeah, yeah. that's
2: right. He was Pollux. Uh, I like his kind of sinister look to him where he's he's doing the eyebrow raise, but instead of it being like the fascinating Spock eyebrow eyebrow raise. It's like the, I'm plotting something and you're going to suffer because of it. Eyebrow raise. So yeah, there's some great choices made by everybody. Uh, there's, I mean, okay. Last week you called out a certain moment on the bridge with Pike as a cringe moment. Yes. I have to say this week, I do have one, which, uh, even on my second viewing, I've only watched it twice, but even the second viewing, I was like, oh, it's so cringe, even though it's it's meant to be, which is Christina Chong doing uh, The Princess, uh, who I love. Like, she's amazing. She's so girly and not at all like her normal character. But the singing bit, like, I just, I don't know, I get like red in the face and secondhand embarrassment or something. It's
1: so weird. Yes, because she's singing. She's this is how she would sing if the king falls in battle, right? And she, oh, and she overplays it like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's ooh, I not to say that it wasn't masterfully done, but I was just like, "Oh, that's so weird." And then all the characters going like, "Uh, yeah, that was great. Okay. Let's move on." I'm like, "Yes, can we please?"
1: <laughs> yeah, see, it wasn't so much a cringe moment for me like last week's are talking like that on the bridge, you know. <laughs> I still love that. <laughs> But uh, I can definitely see how that's kind of a cringe moment because it's just, yeah, it's a little over the top and not really even necessary. It's like, but she was supposed to be, yeah, humorous, kind of over the top character anyway. And she had her little dog. And I thought, you know what? Is the dog really part of the Enterprise or was the dog just created for this fantasy? Because I like to think that the dog really is on the Enterprise somewhere. We just never seen him before.
2: Oh, that's a great question. I
1: have no idea now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I want him
1: to be there. Speaking of cute things, I want to see some dots. Those little dot robots. Mm-hmm. I want to see those because those were established in discovery before they went to the 32nd century. So this enterprise needs to have some dots. I want to see those.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Dot sevens is what we saw in that episode, the enterprise deployed. So, you know, yes, maybe there's still dot sevens. Maybe they have dot eights now.
1: <laughs> Ooh, I'd like to see those dot eights. And I want to see the dog. Yes. The dog has to return again. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I'm with you on Spock. Spock, I think, was one of my favorite ones. I mean, I liked all the cast. I thought they were good. But, you know, the thing about it was Hemmer was really like the thing that stood out to me because we discover that Hemmer is self-aware of himself during this episode. And I thought, okay, now that's weird. Why is it just the doctor and Hemmer that seem to know who they are and nobody else does? Did you have any suspicion as to what maybe Hemmer before he revealed what he did, did you have any idea what uh, why he was self-aware?
2: I had no idea. Yeah, and the revelation comes pretty quickly. But yeah, I was I was kind of the first time just going like, well, that's weird. I wonder, I can't figure that out. But Hammer, man, in this episode, I just, he needs to be placed on a pedestal for his performance in this episode, because I love his reaction to everything that's going on. Like at first he's really confused and like, what's happening doctor? Why, why are you the only person here who's making sense? And then once they kind of start theorizing and getting into it and saying, okay, we need to do this and find this, he gets into it and he's like, oh, this is kind of an opportunity to, have a little fun with it and cut loose a little. So I love that he kind of plays along. I'm a wizard. You say, Oh, what would, what would a human magician say? Oh, abracadabra. I like that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Oh, my my favorite little bit too, where it was, where he was going to burn through the lock. And, um, they, he says, don't look at it. You'll go blind. And they say, well, what about you? And you think he's going to say, Oh, I'm already blind. He says, wow, I'm a wizard.
1: <laughs> I'm just like,
2: oh, that's so great.
1: And then when they get out of there, the little device he used, he just blows on it. Like, like, you know, yeah. a gun or something. He's, you know, uh, magic is science. You know, his science is his magic is the wizard. He was really getting into it. As little of Hemmer that we've gotten in this series so far, this is my favorite episode with Hemmer in it.
2: Agreed. Agreed. He absolutely stole the show. I mean, I mean, Everybody's so good in this episode, but every time he was on screen, I'm I'm laughing. Like he's so great.
1: Yeah, because he was he was like serious but having fun at the same time, you know? It was almost like he has this bit of a smirk on his face at all times, and he's enjoying trying to figure out the puzzle and having fun with it. And then when we have the Crimson Guard come with queen nev and they're all coming and it's like oh no what are they gonna do what are they gonna do he's like i'm going to use my magic and and i'm going to send you to the event horizon there's no such thing as a he's making it up but he's like oh i'm gonna use my magic and he pushes the communicator and they beam away and he had already set it up to happen and he was just like the magic of science and he's even like i'm overplaying this aren't i
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I love Ortegas, or I should say Sir Adya, who's like, uh, I, I like this science. Hmm, very yeah. good. Very good magic.
1: <laughs> yeah. She did some good uh, sword fighting in this, too.
2: Yes. Can I say <laughs> that sword fighting sequence where, you know, they're going to gang up on her and they say, well, you're unarmed. And she, you know, dispatches the first guy and grabs the sword. Her line I have armed myself. I'm just like, ah, I'm in love with this character so much. (laughs) That was, that must've been so much fun to play. And I do have to say, speaking of fun to play, Celia Rose Gooding as Queen Nev, I feel like she really got to flex her muscles as this big baddie, the bad queen who's after the kingdom and the the Mercury Stone and stuff. She looked like she was having a lot of fun too, making everybody kneel to her and
1: stuff. I'm glad you mentioned that. I do remember thinking that was kind of a standout, that You could just tell that she's just like, ooh, I get to play the evil queen. I'm going to love this episode. You know, it's like that's such a fun role to have right there, you know, Mm -hmm. and she has the long nails and all that. I mean, she's just having a good time with that.
2: Yeah, that looked like fun. I think she was really enjoying herself. I also definitely appreciated Jess Bush's character as well. Um, not not a standout for me. She kind of didn't have a lot to do, but the, the kind of natural healing stuff that the doctor's like, okay, kind of rolling his eyes at, that was that was fun too.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking the same thing. It was just, you know, it was fun. It wasn't a standout. You know, if I was going to forget anything that in this episode, it would probably more so her character because she didn't have a whole lot to do, like you said. And it wasn't so over the top or so different or whatever. And and I would also mention that Una as the Huntress was kind of fun too, but still very much like Una in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I did like that it was plot relevant that,
2: for instance, the doctor's daughter at the start, Rukia, was saying she always wanted in the story the Huntress and Sir Adia to get together and help the king. And that actually happens during this reenactment. So that's one of the things that clues in the doctor as to who is actually behind all of this.
1: Yeah, because he's thinking this is all coming from his mind. So Somebody's taking it from his mind. Then he realizes, wait, his daughter has always wanted these two characters together and they've never been together. And they're together here and they know each other real well. I mean, yeah, real well. <laughs> and... Then he realizes this must be coming from his daughter. Now he's got to find her and she's not in the transporter buffer. So where is she? And he and Hemmer are trying to figure out where she is, where whoever did this, took her out of there and, and hid her somewhere. I like how Hemmer's just like, well, maybe we're thinking about this all wrong. Where would you dart? Where would, where would be a place your daughter would want to go to? And of course we heard early episode. She was hoping one day when she's cured, she could see her dad's cabin. Mm -hmm. his quarters and so he's like my quarters that's where we need to go and of course that's where she is
2: yeah and and of course the the um revelation that this macguffin the the mercury Mercury stone Stone. is actually his daughter yeah yeah
1: yeah and the queen wants his daughter and he's like you can't take my daughter you know
2: i love that moment i have to say it where he's kind of just like, he he knows how the story goes, so he's kind of going, he's like, oh, okay, we need to do this, we need to do that. And then, when his daughter is threatened, it's like a switch gets turned, and Dr. Mbenga says, You will not touch my daughter, or I will bring down the might of my entire kingdom upon you! And that sounds silly, but there is true menace in his voice. Like you will not threaten my daughter. You will not go after her. And I, even though he's saying, I'll bring the might of my kingdom down upon you. I'm, I'm believing him. I'm, this is a man who is fighting for his daughter.
1: Yes, absolutely. And then the other thing is, let's go ahead and talk about that. This is a father and you know, his relationship with his daughter. And when he does have that scene later in his quarters with her, she's cured. He doesn't know how this has happened, but she's cured. And she's talking about her friend, her friend in the nebula. And I love how hammer steps in and says, I can be the voice of this entity that's in the nebula. They can speak through me. And he has to make a choice just like the King in the book, right? Right. He has to make a choice. Does he let his daughter go and live a life where she's cured and he has to have heartbreak or does he keep her with him? But she asks him to let her go. And she is the mercury stone that Mm -hmm. just like the king has to let it go, even though it will cause unhappiness for himself. And I just thought that was really wonderful.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful moment. And it was something that when I first watched this episode, I was thinking it felt very rushed, like that he was go- going to let his daughter go do this so easily. But then I kind of forgot they they mention at the beginning, he mentions in a log how dire the situation is that basically she's down to hours now, like she is going to die if something isn't done. And that was something that I'd kind of forgotten by the time we got to this point, the first time I watched the episode that he's out of options. He's at the end of his rope. There's nothing, you know, There, the, the options are let her go do this or watch her die in front of him. And I feel like that maybe needed to be sold a little bit more somehow in the episode because it it kind of got away from me. But watching this the second time with that more on my mind, it felt a lot more appropriate what happens. And it didn't feel as rushed as I thought it was in the first one. And again, I, I feel like part of that is I wasn't expecting the story to go there. I thought we'd get a step on the way to her recovery, but this would be a longer drawn out story. No, this is wrapping up in this episode.
1: Yeah. I was surprised by that. I really was expecting, like you just said, this to be another step forward. I thought we at least go into season two with mm-hmm. this, or maybe it's resolved in the season finale. I didn't expect it in this episode. Yeah. I think again, rewatching it, it helps because I think you're right. When It, it did maybe feel a little rushed for me too, but yeah, going back and rewatching it, it really stood out to me at the beginning when he says she only has hours and it's like, well, yeah, she doesn't have much time. He could lose her to death or lose her to this nebula where she can live. And then just to make it even more heartbreaking or pulling at your heart even more is having her return immediately to him as an adult. Yeah. And it was like, oh my gosh, that's when I lost it. That's when I lost it. And then he's like, you look like your mother, you know? And she named the nebula after her mother, Deborah. I mean, I was just like, okay, pass the tissues. Here we go. (laughs) I wanted to ask you about this
2: because, I mean, I, I was definitely emotional at this and, you know, feeling the character's pain, but also his joy because he immediately does find out that. That was the right decision, you know. I I was worried the episode would kind of be like, what happened to her? We don't know for sure. I'm really glad they they give him that that resolution and that closure there. But I, I did want to ask you as a father, like how did this hit? Because I I'm I'm not a father. I don't have any children but you of course have daughters so like did that make this i i imagine it had to have made this even more poignant to you
1: yeah i would say it does and especially now that my youngest is going off to you know school next year far away and you know it's the last of my two kids and mm. they're both girls and it's like it is almost like that moment of letting them go but then you're letting them go to become adults, you know? Yeah. And you're seeing that transition. I mean, just to tell you right now, my oldest daughter, who's only 20 years old, she's been away at university for two years now. And she's always been a picky eater. And one of the things I could never get her to eat was rice. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, but rice doesn't have a whole lot of flavor. I mean, she's, it's just, that's it. It just doesn't have flavor. And it's the texture. I can't eat rice. I can't eat rice. And just before we started recording tonight, we're sitting there eating Chinese food and she had three helpings of rice. Oh wow. And I've noticed throughout the summer she's expanded her options of food. She's eating more foods now that she never ate before. And then I'm sitting there seeing her eat rice. I'm not going to say anything. Cause anytime I say something like, Oh my gosh, you're eating rice now. She'd go, well, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but she never ate rice before. But my point is, it's like I'm seeing her go from that little girl to an adult very quickly. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of now my youngest going off to a big city far from here and it's going to be the same thing. So watching the scene, that's what it made me think of is letting the little girl go, but her coming back as an adult saying, I'm OK and yeah. thank you. You know, and it's like, that's where it hit me.
2: Yeah, that that really felt like the allegory they were going for was the, you know, sending your children off in the world to be something different. Maybe not what you expected, but, you know, charting their own path and stuff. And, you know, taken to an extreme because she's turning into energy and becoming one with a nebula. And, you know, she's only how old? I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I mean typical Star Trek otherworldliness, but still it it felt like a familiar type of story or a familiar decision that a father or a parent would have to make.
1: And I like what you said earlier that they gave him that moment to see that his daughter's okay. Bring her back as adult. And I like that they gave us that moment too. Because as soon as she joined with the Nebula, I thought, okay, well, maybe we can come back later and he'll find a cure, bring her out of the nebula, cure her so she can then be back in human form and live out the rest of her life as a human. But this closed the book on that. Mm -hmm. She's already lived her life. You know, there's no reason for him to go back and and bring her out and give her a human life. She's she's in the life she's meant to be. She's happy there. She want anything more. This, this chapter is closed, you know? I mean, he, he said that, I think he even said something about, oh no, she said, I'll see, I'm sure we'll see each other again sometime. And I I want that moment. Yeah,
2: me too. For sure. I, I, this, this second viewing, especially that really jumped out at me that like, Hey, okay. Yeah. We need to somehow follow up on this at some point. I'd love to see that.
1: And then later in the scene, when now that is over, then Hemmer wakes up and he's like, he doesn't remember anything. He's like, am I in your quarters? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was kind of cute. He's like, what am I doing here? And no one remembers anything except him. And then we have Una coming to the doctor and asking Joseph how he's doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Joseph, Joseph, we got a first name. It's Joseph. There you go. Joseph Mbenga.
2: Yeah, Joseph Mbenga, Apparently, yeah, that that was a bit of a surprise, given the whole back and forth about uh, Jabilo or you know the the na- name from the novels and all of that that we got with the Mission Chicago stuff. But uh, I, I guess that kind of answers maybe one reason why they took all that down and said, "Oh, never mind, ignore that." Maybe yeah. they realized, "Oops, we made his name Joseph in some script and screwed that up." Whoops. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of disappointed they didn't go with the name in the novels, but I know there was the name Jeffrey that was in the comics Mm -hmm. at one point too. So he's had two different names and I'm okay with Joseph. I mean, obviously I don't have a choice. Right. But, um, I, I I think I heard someone say online, I, I haven't confirmed this. But his name was Joseph in the original scripts or something like that. They just hmm. never used it.
2: Interesting. Well, I mean, until I'm told otherwise, I'd like to think that his name is Joseph Jeffrey Jabilo Mbenga. So he's got those two middle names there.
1: That sounds good to me. That's what I'm going <laughs> with. <laughs> Why not? And then David Mack has a new novel coming out later this year that is kind of a crossover between the original series and the Vanguard series. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles the name in that book.
2: Yeah, that's a, <laughs> my name is Jabilo. Only that number one person called me Joseph. That was just a, a pet name, I guess,
1: or something <laughs> A nickname. <laughs> well, if David's listening to this, I would just say, and not that he needs my advice, but you don't ever, you don't even have to go by use the first name at all. I mean, there's many novels and even the original series that never mentioned his first name. And it took us eight episodes to get to the first name of this anyway. So, Well, I mean, I
2: don't know. Knowing some of these authors and especially David Mack, there's probably going to be some line right in the middle of the book that just makes us all go, oh, yeah, that makes sense.
1: (laughs) They're so good at that. There'll be something where they have his nameplate or something and just has his first initial J on it. Yeah. (laughs) It could go either way so jj uh, J. mbenga and you're like J. J. oh there you go jj <laughs> <laughs> J., that's right dynamite so um by the way jimmy walker jj J., does work uh for our company every once in a while so i've never met him but i think it'd be cool to meet jj J., jimmy walker hmm. someday but um
2: i'm just anyway. glad your mind didn't go immediately to jj J. abrams <laughs>
1: No, no, I guess it didn't. J.J. Walker's always my first J.J. Sorry, J.J. Abrams. You know, yeah, anyway, you'll always be J.J. number two. <laughs> you always be number two. But I still like you, Abrams. Don't worry about it. So, final thoughts on this episode.
2: So, final thoughts. It's definitely an acquired taste episode. I mean, if you're a fan of Star Trek when it's weird this episode's going to be right up your alley. And it, it feels very TOS. It feels very TNG holodeck adventure. It feels very weird anomaly affecting the crew kind of thing. So I think it fits. I think it is Star Trek in the deepest sense of that term. I love the performances by the cast. I think they all do an incredible job. I even love... This time around, I was paying special attention to the parts where we weren't in the fantasy world. We were in real life. And I love the little interplay that we get, for example, between Pike and Spock, where Pike's like, oh, I love missions like this. You know, no battles. We're just mapping a nebula. And Spock's basically like, I've observed that humans say, don't call attention to your good fortune. Basically, he's saying, he's saying like, "Don't jinx this," and I, I love that Spock's like worried about Pike jinxing this because he said some good things, you know. So just little things like that. I love these interplays. Also, bringing in the real life theory of the Boltzmann brain. I thought that was a really fascinating way to go. Like, I, I love when Star Trek brings real life theories into it and and explores them. So. Uh I, I spent a bit of time reading the Boltzmann Brain article on Wikipedia, thanks to this episode, and that's kind of cool. Anytime Star Trek helps you learn something, that's awesome. So yeah, this was uh this was a winner for me. I really thoroughly enjoyed it start to finish. I'm gonna give it four and a half wonderful sword fights uh with uh Sir Adya slash Ortagas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sure you want to do that sword fighting with her that'd be fun i
2: I don't know that I'd want to sword fight against her, but I definitely would want to be on her side in something like that because yeah, she handles herself very well
1: <laughs> absolutely i I'm up there with you, not quite four point five but um I, I I liked it i I really did and again, rewatching it again, I liked it a little more i think i yeah, you know, it, It's fun seeing the characters and the actors play these roles in this way, but at the same time, I'm more interested in the story about the doctor and his daughter and that whole thing in Hemmer was just a standout character yes. to me through this. So those were probably more of my favorite scenes, not so much the medieval, you know, storytelling, fable, fictiony things that were going on. They were fun. But if anything, my favorite was Dr. Mbenga and Hemmer trying to figure out what's going on and, and getting through the whole story to the end and finding a cure for his daughter. And I really enjoyed that. So I'm going to give this episode four out of five paths around the swamp of infinite deaths.
2: Oh, that's a, that's not a good swamp.
1: No, it's not. You do not want to go through there.
2: <laughs> oh, man. I, I just want like sound clips of all of Pike's little things that he says.
1: I love him in this episode so much.
2: I want to buy these costumes.
1: Yeah. No kidding. Oh, and before we end, and I already told Dan about this before, but, um, so my oldest daughter, she, She occasionally watches Star Trek with me. I'll never see her watch Star Trek on her own. It's like if I'm watching Star Trek, she might watch it with me. Well, she was in the room when I started watching this, and she's on her laptop. She had her headphones on. And next thing you know, it, I see the laptop's put away and the headphones are off, and she's watching the episode with me. And at the end of this episode, she said, you know what? This show's really good I've seen two episodes of this and they're really well written and I like how they don't take themselves too seriously that I might want to go back and watch the other episodes yeah oh my gosh that's never happened <laughs> with Star Trek she only wants to watch if Chris Pines in it, but now this like oh okay you know so that's a good sign too and she loves the gowns she kept going on about the gowns that they had so oh that's awesome any Star
2: Trek that makes new Trekkies I mean that's that's awesome.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm thinking if she's eating rice now, she can start watching Star Trek on her own. Now too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so, Dan, when you're not eating rice and watching Star Trek, where can people find you? Oh, I do both of those things quite a bit. But when I'm not <laughs> doing that,
2: uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on YouTube.com slash Productions and Instagram, kurtrats 47 and of course, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook, my favorite place to hang out on the internet.
1: Absolutely. And I'm on Twitter. I don't know why, but I am. I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram. It's just Admiral Rex. And yeah, you can find me in the Facebook group. You can find me on Facebook and we can be Facebook friends and message each other. That's fine too. That's cool. And you can also email us here at the show, positively trek at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Positively trek, on Instagram at Positively trek. And of course, we're on Facebook too, not just the discussion group, but we have our, you know, regular Positively Trek page there. Also, Goodreads. We're on Goodreads because we have a book club. And uh, we're kind of taking a break for a couple weeks on book club. But we've got some books coming up soon, so keep an eye on Goodreads for some upcoming books we're going to cover here on the show. So, that just about does it. So, thank you to all of our listeners, and thank you to our patrons on Patreon. We can't do this without you. We appreciate you so much for all the effort that you put in to us making the show possible. So, please... Anybody else who wants to join us, go to patreon.com and look for Positively Track. And we appreciate anything you contribute. You can contribute $1 a month. That would be cool too. So just show a little love. That's it. A little love goes <laughs> a long way. But thanks all for listening. And until next time, stay positive.